0: Hey, thanks so much for joining us for Church Online today. I hope our time of worship was encouraging to you. We're about to open God's Word, the Bible, to study it together. But before we do, let me introduce myself in case you're new. My name is Adam and I'm one of the pastors here at First Free Church. If you are new around here, please let us know at efree.org connect. That's efree.org connect. If you want to learn more about our church and get together sometime to learn what First Free is all about, make sure you go to efree.org slash connect. Would love to connect with you. If you need to follow along with the message by reading in any other language, live translation is available at efree.org translate. I want you to think for a moment about a dark time you experienced in your life. It could be something from your past or maybe something you're going through right now. I could think back to the time I tore my ACL in my knee and ending my basketball season, or when I had a boss who lied about me to a lot of people and, and caused all kinds of problems. Or when my wife and I lost twin babies in the second trimester. And those were some dark, dark valleys for me. When my life was interrupted and it was difficult to understand why. Why would God allow this to happen? Why would he let me go through this? Did he want this to happen? Did he cause it? Why, when when I'm pretty sure I did everything right, did the wicked person seem to triumph sometimes? Have you ever felt that way or some version of that? If you read the Bible, you'll find it is full of stories with people with the exact same types of problems. People who go through difficult times and wonder why. People who feel like maybe God has abandoned them. People who struggle to understand how God could let them go through some horrible experiences. Joseph was one of those people. His life was turned upside down when his brothers sold him to slave traders who then sold him to an Egyptian named Potiphar. Potiphar was a wealthy and powerful man. He was the captain of the guard for the pharaoh of Egypt. And Joseph did so well as Potiphar's slave that eventually he was promoted to oversee Potiphar's whole house and business ventures. In fact, the Bible says that Potiphar didn't worry about a thing when Joseph was in charge. But then Potiphar's wife tried to start an inappropriate relationship with Joseph. When he refused, she lied about him to her husband and Joseph was thrown in prison. And you have to think that Joseph was wondering in that moment, where is God in all of this? Why would God allow him to experience such an unjust punishment as an innocent man? Isn't it true that when we're in the middle of a valley in our lives, it's hard to see or even imagine what things will look like on the other side of that mountain, and yet, if you think back to all the valleys you've gone through in the past, you can probably put that stuff in perspective now a lot better a lot better than you could back then. So we're going to look back at this valley for Joseph when he was falsely accused and imprisoned. And we're going to see if we can identify what God was doing in the middle of that and what Joseph did that we can learn to do in our valleys. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 39. So go ahead and turn there. If you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to start in verse 17. When Potiphar's wife tells her lie and falsely accuses Joseph. Here's how it goes. Then she told him, that's Potiphar, her story about Joseph. That Hebrew slave you've brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak. With me. Now, that did not happen. That was not true, but that's the story that she told. And not only did she lie about Joseph, but she tried to make it a race thing. She called him that Hebrew slave. See, Joseph was an ethnic minority living in Egypt. The Egyptians looked down on the Hebrews, and Potiphar's wife used that fact as part of her accusation against him. It was intentionally degrading and racist. Now, anytime someone tries to use race or really ethnicity. I mean, we're all one race, technically speaking, but we have different ethnic backgrounds. And anytime someone tries to use that or the way someone looks, the color of their skin or or their culture as an argument for something, you know that they can't have a solid argument. Whether it's limiting someone because of their ethnic background or giving special treatment to someone because of their ethnic background. None of that is how God wants us to operate. That's not what we read in scripture about how he wants us to treat people. This week, I have seen racial tensions rise all over this country. You have too. We're especially aware of it because it gets amplified in the media and on social media. One of the hotspots right now, as you know, is in Minneapolis. I got an email yesterday from a pastor who lives just 10 blocks away from the 3rd Precinct where horrible things happened this week. And he's scared. He says it's like a war zone in his neighborhood. Now, I watched the video of what happened there on Monday it brought me to tears, I'm being honest, and, and to prayer. It's horrific, it's wrong. It never should have happened. And the result is thankfully that most people around the country, regardless of politics, agree on this, it's wrong. And it seems like the appropriate steps have been taken to make sure that justice is happening there. I'm not gonna get into any more of the details here. You can go look that up if you want. Right now, I don't know if the incident was actually motivated by race or not. Either way, racial tension has been the result. And now the death of one person has led to the death of more people. An act of brutality has led to more violence. And that's not the only incident that we've seen the last couple of weeks hit the national media that has brought to the surface questions about racism. It's common to see leaders, including Christian leaders, jump in on social media to weigh in very quickly. And I tend not to do that for for several reasons. I'll just give you a few of them. First, we never know the full story right away. And more information always comes out later. Most social commentary is a rush to judgment without due process. I've seen so many posts from respected people this week making assumptions that simply aren't backed up by the facts right now. Second, I absolutely despise virtue signaling which I believe is rooted in pride. If our virtue is measured by whether or not we post online every time there's an atrocity that that goes viral, we'll have to start doing that 24/7 because there are always atrocities happening, getting posted on social media all the time. Third, anything I say can and will be misinterpreted by someone who needs to hear about Jesus more than they need to hear my opinion on people's actions that I saw through a cell phone video without the full context. All of that aside, the most important reason why I don't jump on social media and talk about this stuff and weigh in on specific instances is this, and and that's where I really wanted to get to this morning. Jesus and Paul lived in a time when horrible atrocities and injustices were taking place all around them. Many of them were motivated by race, but they did not write about specific instances Or weigh in on who was right or who was wrong, even in their speeches and correspondence with churches. Now, I'll bet a lot of very religious-seeming people really wanted them to. They wanted them to weigh in on stuff. They wanted them to take their side. But why didn't they? If it's such a virtuous thing to weigh in publicly as soon as possible, why do we have no example of that from Jesus or Paul or the other writers of the New Testament? I mean, it's not like there wasn't horrible stuff going on around them that they could have spoken to. And here's why. Because the incident is not the issue. The incident is not the issue. See, some people think that posting on social media or writing a blog post or or doing a video online about a particular instance and taking a position is going to somehow bring change to people's hearts in the country. And that's not how people usually work. And by the way, I'm not saying that no one should post about current events or that we should all keep silent. Some people do a very good job explaining these things and helping us to understand them because they have the time to do the research to make sure what they're saying is accurate and has the full context. But I'm explaining here why I don't rush to do that and why I think there's something deeper and more important here, and that's really what I'm trying to get at. See, Christians have a deeper insight into what is happening and why, and that's what I wanna talk with you about. What Jesus and Paul did was to focus on the real issue and not the incidents. Because the issue is about the heart. See, we live in a broken world full of sinful people, myself included. I mean, if some of the things that have floated through my mind over the years were acted out and recorded on video, it would be worse than what we saw this week. And I'll bet that's true for most of you. The people of this world have a disease. That disease is sin. It leads to all sorts of atrocities and injustices all around us. And it honestly shouldn't really surprise us that sinful people do sinful things. The incident isn't the issue. The sinful heart is the issue. And the cure is Jesus. Do you think the people involved in the events of this week are being guided by the Holy Spirit? With the love of God and the fruit of the Spirit have changed a lot of how people acted this week. And I'm not just talking about this one incident in Minneapolis. I'm talking about a series of things that we have seen. See, this is what we need to be sharing. Jesus makes a difference in our lives. Knowing Jesus and being His disciples, following Him, learning to be like Him, it changes hearts. You want to see real change happen? that removes racial division, turns people away from sinful actions and injustice, show them Jesus. Now, I know not everyone will trust him, but those who do will see their hearts changed and their lives transformed, and that's the real solution. Show people that Jesus makes a difference in your life. Show people how being his disciple has transformed you. If more and more people will see that and trust in him, we will see lasting change that comes from the inside out. So let me get back to Joseph now. In verse 19, Potiphar has just learned what's happened from his wife or what she claims has happened. The Bible says Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her, all of it a lie. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. Now you have to notice something here. He didn't throw Joseph in the prison for common criminals. This was a political prison. It's actually a prison inside of a palace where people who displeased the Pharaoh were sent for a while. Now, maybe this means that Potiphar knew his wife was probably lying, but he still had to punish Joseph to save face. But either way, I want you to see how this looks from two different perspectives. First, from Joseph's perspective, this is a big setback. But from God's perspective, this is preparation. See, the type of prisoners Joseph will be around in this prison are high-ranking officials from Pharaoh's palace. People who know the inner workings of Egyptian politics. He'll spend a couple of years in this prison picking up on how things work in Pharaoh's administration. And this may seem like a dark valley to Joseph, but it's actually preparing him for what God has in store later. That's something we need to remember in the middle of our valleys. When you are going through a difficult time in life and wondering why God is allowing you to experience this, you need to recognize that God has a discipleship plan and a leadership development plan for your life. He really does. James 1 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Philippians 1 says, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue His work until it is finished. On the day when Christ Jesus returns. See, God is working in your life through the good times and the bad times. And God's curriculum is often radically different than what we expect. He uses different courses and a different schedule than we have in mind. And it's not just to grow us as a disciple, but it's also as a leader as a disciple maker. Discipleship is becoming more like Jesus and living in response to who he is. But for Jesus, an inseparable part of being his disciple is being someone who will lead others to him and help them grow. Being someone who will influence other people for Jesus and represent him in this world. Many times, our darkest valleys are actually difficult courses that God is using to teach us and make us into better disciples and better leaders. See, your burden may actually be God's blessing in your life. Your season of suffering may be God's way of strengthening you for what he wants you to do in the future, how he wants to work through you. Later in his life, Joseph told his brothers who had sold him into slavery and started this whole journey, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. So recognize in the middle of the valley that God has a discipleship plan and a leadership development plan for your life. Let's keep reading in Genesis 39, verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Now, we talked last week about how God blessed Joseph and gifted him so that his work was excellent. But Joseph could have messed it up. God gifted and blessed Samson as well, and Samson made an absolute mess of it. So Joseph could have wallowed in misery in that prison there, but he worked hard and he stayed faithful to God despite his circumstances. Now, we know specifically that Joseph remained faithful to God, and here's how. The Bible says sometime later, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended their royal master. Pharaoh became angry with these two officials and he put them in the prison where Joseph was in the palace of the captain of the guard. Now, we don't know if that captain of the guard was Potiphar or if there was a new captain of the guard at this point. The Bible doesn't tell us. They remained in prison for quite some time. And the captain of the guard, whoever that was, assigned them to Joseph who looked after them. Now, the chief cupbearer and chief baker don't just serve Pharaoh his food and drink. These are important officials who protect the Pharaoh from assassination by poisoning. They also understand the inner workings of the palace. Their positions require the complete trust of the Pharaoh, which is probably why they're in this prison. Something happened that caused him to question whether he could trust them. Maybe he got sick and thought one of them tried to poison him. While they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today? He asked them. And they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. It's not as common today, but back then a lot of people thought dreams were how the gods communicated with people. Archaeologists have uncovered dream books in Egypt where they explained how to interpret dreams. This was like the scientific literature of the day. They even gave examples of dreams that you could read and kind of practice on. Interpreting dreams was a skill that could be learned, sort of like fortune telling or writing horoscopes. But when these guys tried to get their dreams interpreted, no one could tell them what they meant. Now Joseph hears this and says what is probably my favorite line in the entire story of Joseph. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. That's such an awesome statement, isn't it? Oh, you went to those dream interpreters and thought you'd get the truth? Interpreting dreams is God's business. So what do we learn from this? Well, Joseph, again, in the middle of the prison, in the middle of yet another valley in his life, is pointing people to God. He could have just interpreted the dream, I suppose, as as God told him, and been viewed as the most skilled dream interpreter around. Maybe that would have been his ticket out of there, but he took no credit for it at all. And here's what we need to learn in this. Remain faithful, even when you don't understand what is happening around you. Now, we'll see in a minute that Joseph is still pretty bothered by the fact that he has been wrongfully imprisoned, and rightfully so. But instead of bitterness... He has shown excellence. Instead of becoming angry, he's serving people. Instead of forgetting about God, he's clinging to God. 1 Peter 5 says, So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. And Hebrews 13 says, Don't love money, be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. So I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? This is the attitude we need to have in the valleys of life. When a loved one passes unexpectedly, when you find out you have cancer, when you lose your job, when your marriage is falling apart, humble yourself before God and let him lift you up in the right time, give all your worries and cares to God and trust that he cares for you. Remember his promise to never abandon you. Even when it's hard to tell if he's there, trust what he has told you, stay faithful to him and trust that he will get you through it. I often ask people to imagine what their life might be like in two years or five years. And now imagine what it will be like then, looking back on the hard time you're facing right now. It helps to put things in perspective. Now, something else I want you to notice is how Joseph's character has developed at this point. See, back at home, he was proud of his position. He loved the spotlight. He bragged about how important he would be, but now he's humble. He gives God the credit. He understands that his life isn't nearly as much in his control as he used to think. God has already used the dark times of Joseph's life to make him a better person. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream first. In my dream, he said, I saw a grapevine in front of me. The vine had three branches that began to bud and blossom, and soon it produced clusters of ripe grapes. I was holding Pharaoh's wine cup in my hand, so I took a cluster of grapes and squeezed the juice into the cup. Then I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is what the dream means, Joseph said. The three branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as his chief cup bearer. And please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh, so he might let me out of this place. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. Now this tells us something else about Joseph. He had not given up hope. He knew that someday he might be free, and he looked forward to that time. Sometimes the biggest struggle for us in the middle of the valley is to believe that there is something better waiting for us. But God says that there are always, always, always is. Here are two examples from scripture. In Romans 8, Paul says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. And James 1 says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Listen, no matter what you are facing right now, There is hope on the other side. Now some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because some of you have experienced deep personal loss or hardship. And as difficult as that was, you can look back today and say, I I would never want to go through that again, but God was really faithful to me in that time, even when I didn't always realize it. In fact, I would say I'm a better person today because of what God taught me in that valley. And even if your life here ends In the middle of a valley, there's still hope on the other side. For those who patiently endure and love God, there's a crown of life waiting even after death. There are always better things ahead. Reasons to hope, reasons to be faithful to God, no matter what is going on around you. So when the chief baker saw that Joseph had given the first dream such a positive interpretation, he said to Joseph, I had a dream too. In my dream, there were three baskets of white pastry stacked on my head. The top basket contained all kinds of pastries for Pharaoh, but the birds came and ate them from the basket on my head. This is what the dream means, Joseph told him. The three baskets also represent three days. Three days from now, Pharaoh will lift you up and impale your body on a pole. Then birds will come and peck away at your flesh. Pharaoh's birthday came three days later, and he prepared a banquet for all his officials and staff. He summoned his chief cupbearer and chief baker to join the other officials, took him out of the prison. He then restored the chief cupbearer to his former position so he could again hand Pharaoh his cup. But Pharaoh impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted his dream. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. It's a disappointing end, To this chapter of Joseph's life. This man that Joseph gave hope forgot all about him as soon as he got out of prison. He could have helped an innocent man go free, but he didn't even remember the guy who interpreted his dream directly from God. Joseph will spend two more full years in prison, but knowing what we know now about his character, how do you think he spent those years? seeing how God has developed him through valley after valley, do you think those two years were a waste of his life or further development by God to prepare him for the future? See, what I want you to take away from today's message is that no matter what season of life you're in right now, no matter what difficult situation you are facing, even if you feel absolutely trapped with no path forward that you can see, when you are trusting in God, your waiting isn't wasted. God has plans for you in the future but he also has plans for you right now. If you're in a valley right now, he's using that valley to mold you and shape you into what he wants you to be. Your future self will be thankful for the lessons you are learning today, the patience you are gaining, and the endurance that God has giving you right now. That perspective changes things, doesn't it? It can change our attitude from feeling like a victim to trusting God for a victory. It can change the way we treat other people. Instead of constantly complaining, we recognize what God is doing. And even if we don't fully understand it, we look for ways to serve other people like Joseph did. When you stay faithful to God, when you understand that this is part of his development plan for you, and when you remember that you have a hope-filled future ahead, your waiting isn't wasted. Now, there's one other thing that I want to say about this. No one went through lower valleys than Jesus Christ. No one has experienced more pain and suffering than Him. No one. And here's how I know that. No one else has ever had the sin of all the people who ever lived put on Him for Him to pay it as a sacrifice. No one else has experienced the perfect unity and harmony of the Trinity and then been separated from it innocently but willingly. Joseph was falsely accused and Jesus was falsely accused. Joseph was arrested, and Jesus was arrested. Joseph was betrayed by the cupbearer he had helped, and Jesus was betrayed by one of his own disciples. Joseph had years of waiting to accomplish his purpose, and Jesus waited 30 years to start doing what he came here to do. But Jesus did something that Joseph could never do. Remember that verse when Joseph put everything in perspective for his brothers? He said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Joseph would go on to save the lives of many people, but Jesus would save the world from the disease of sin. That thing we talked about at the beginning, that thing that's behind the horrible things that we've seen this week, that thing that's behind all of the horrible things that that don't make the national news, that don't go viral every day. Jesus is the difference in our lives because we believe in him and trust in him to save us from our sinfulness. And so he transforms our hearts so that we become new people. We get a fresh start. He sends His Holy Spirit to live inside us and to guide us. He teaches us to live by the fruit of the Spirit instead of just whatever makes us feel good. And that's the difference that people all around the world need. The difference that would end so much pain and suffering caused by humans against other humans. And maybe some of you watching this right now need that difference in your life. Here's how it works. The Bible says that if you believe in Jesus Christ, Believe that he died on the cross for you, that he rose from the dead, that he has the power to save you from sin and death. You put your trust in him and confess that you are a sinner and need his salvation and he will cleanse you from sin. He will make you into a new person. Your desires are going to change. Not that you'll always be perfect, but you'll have really good desires there too. You're going to be able to handle the valleys of life because you will have a hope-filled future of eternity with God. And that can only happen if you give your life to Jesus. You can pray to him right now if you want to do that. Tell him what you realize about yourself, that you're a sinner. Ask him to save you and transform your life. Commit your life to him. And Jesus will be the difference in your life too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it grieves us to see injustice in the world. And there's so much of it. We are sinful people. We sin against you. We have sinful thoughts and those turn into sinful actions. And, and Lord, as much as that breaks our hearts, we recognize that the root cause of this isn't just the actions of some people against other people, but it's the sinfulness of, of all people. It's the sinfulness that exists in this world, this disease of sin. And Lord, we need you to come and take it away from us. And so God, I trust in you. And I pray that everyone watching this is trusting in you for their salvation. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to focus on you when we go through these dark valleys of life. Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. Help us to remember the hope that we have in you. Help us to remain faithful to you, God. And help us to see, maybe not perfectly, but just a glimpse of how you're using the valley in our life as a way to develop us and grow us into what you want us to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.